Welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie, it's that time of year again, that time when I make it awkward and wish you and I a happy anniversary. <laughs> that, that makes it very awkward, I'm afraid. Yeah, man, two, two years now in the books. This is the start of our third season. In 2015, we late August, we decided to get started on this endeavor and recorded our first episode, and it took all day. <laughs> yeah, we, we got it done in about eight hours or so, the first episode. <laughs> That's normal, right? Without, without any production or anything along those lines. I'm, I'm excited about today's show, though. This is, this is our 2017 VT football season preview. And like I said, it's our third one. I couldn't be more happy about the progress we've made, although it might be a little according to some people. I feel like we've come come a little ways in our in our development here, and we've got a fun show for you today. So, Robbie, kick it off as always with the cheers. I mean, I have to go with college football being back. We have um, yeah, this is season. If you listen to podcasts, ain't played nobody. Whoever you want to talk to, this is um, you know the beginning of the season, week zero point. Uh, five, some people are calling it. Some people are calling it week zero. Uh, we have uh, the big game is Rice-Stanford down in Australia, which I knew, know you'll be tuning in at. It's at 10 p.m. on Saturday. Uh, so cheers to us actually previewing college football games. It's awesome. Uh, also, a quick cheers off to, um, and I hope we're, I'm pronouncing it right, Clark Ruland, who did um, another set of artwork uh, for, for us, um, our, our logo, which obviously has needed touch-up from multiple people because uh, <laughs> we don't have any sponsors or anything. So people are doing it pro bono for us because they just like us, and we appreciate that. So cheers to him as well. Yes, cheers to Clark. Thanks for our new album artwork. So the AP poll came out. It always comes out a couple weeks after the coaches poll, and VT is also in this poll, and we are number 21. Our opening week opponent, West Virginia, is number 22, so we're one spot ahead of them, whereas in the coaches poll, we are two spots behind them at 20 and 22, respectively. The other ACC teams came in. uh, We had FSU at 3, Clemson at 5, Louisville at 16, and Miami at 18, and that's very close, if not exact, to what the coaches poll had for those teams. The other big news item we had was that we have a starting quarterback, Robbie. We do Josh have Jackson. a starting quarterback. <laughs> I think we knew we were going to end up having one, but at least it's not two, so we know they're not splitting. I know, and in all of our off-season podcasts, talking about, well, who's ever under center, and when we do make the decision, and whoever it may be, like we can finally put a name to that person, and it's Josh Jackson, who many people, if you put a gun to their head, that's who they would have guessed there was a point in the off season where I was starting to lean hooker because Jackson hadn't been named yet, but still was kind of coming back to the idea that it was going to be Jackson. Nevertheless, it is Josh Jackson, the red shirt freshman who competed with Gerard Evans last August. Uh, surprisingly, uh, Fuente said he was in the mix with Motley and Evans, and now he's our starter. So I'm kind of excited about this. The timing of the decision is interesting, though, because I thought Fuente would have waited a little bit longer. I was curious as to your thoughts on the timing. I may have tweeted this out, but my thought was it adds some validity to what um, Coach Fuente said last year, and then he said it this year. He also said it, uh, I think, during fall practice and then towards the beginning of spring practice. 
that he's not holding it back as um, you know some strategy to try and throw teams off base. He would make the announcement when they felt like they have the right person. And given the timing uh, last year uh, with Gerard Evans was named you know, a lot closer to the, the start of the season than uh, Josh Jackson, almost, I think, a week different or a week and a half different, then I think it just shows that he, it's not game and gamesmanship. He's just wants to wait until they feel like they have the right, the right guy. Yeah, I also was wondering if because we have a bigger game week one that Fuente wanted to make sure that guy knew who it was so he didn't have to concentrate on com- competing and could concentrate on the game plan and just focusing on the game. Uh, that's just a theory I had. I don't know if there's anything to that or not. Uh, I like that Josh got named. I, I feel like it just raises your confidence more going to those last couple weeks. And and I think he said as much as that, and, or the other guys on the team said as much that he seemed to be kind of have a little bit more juice in his step uh, the day after and so on and so forth. So for whatever that's worth, I'm glad Fuente announced it when he did. The last, and we're going to talk about Josh a little bit more later in the episode for sure. Another news item I had was David Hale, ACC blogger for ESPN, referred to us as Vatech in a tweet recently, and this created a firestorm of at hate tweets at David Hale. And then he proceeded to say, well, he's only going to refer to us as Vatech from now on, which I thought was kind of funny, but also kind of trolly. And there's just no news at all. So I thought I would just put that in, in our news items because I thought it was kind of funny. Just don't even pay attention to him. Don't, don't add fuel to the fire and it'll go away before you know it. Unless he's that spiteful of a person. I still dislike some people I like that I had hatred towards in third grade. So I would be a person that would keep that going all season. Let's hope he's not. <laughs> and and everyone knows how much Virginia Tech fans hate the Va Tech thing. I personally don't have a huge problem with it, but people really seem to find it annoying. <laughs> and so Hale was just getting off on that. And finally, we posted our first guest at Virginia Tech's Too Deep for the season. We posted it to our Twitter account Wednesday. Uh, for anyone who's into that kind of thing, take a look at it and feel free to fire back any uh, egregious mistakes we may have made in, in our uh, in our Too Deep. And some of it is, is just that. It's just a guess. Uh, but it's fun to at least put something out there and, and talk about the various positions and who's coming in where. Hey, we're trying, to, also, give it, trying to give it a shot. I mean... Doing yeah, what we can. It's the name of the podcast, so we have to put out a too deep, right? <laughs> so I'm going to lay the groundwork for the preview with where we're coming in in the rankings. And I'll start with last year's rankings. We finished 2016 at 16th in the AP poll, also 16th in the coaches poll, and 17th in the S&P. This year, we talked about it in our uh, team previews, where we were coming in in some of the magazines, and we've got a few more rankings now. We are 25th in Athlon going into 2017, 25th also according to Phil Steele, 29th according to Lindy's Preview Magazine. I already mentioned the coaches poll, which we were 22, and the AP poll, which we were 21. And according to Bovada, or Vegas, we are plus 7,500 to win the national title, which would slot us tied for 20th with a couple other teams. Our projected S&P by Bill Connolly was 25. And recently that moved up to 24. I think he put out new rankings today. Is that right? That's right. It came out today. And then um, tomorrow, I think he's doing 
uh, and one more update, but it, he has the rankings locked down. I think he does like a second. Oh, the individual stats, the game stats of win loss oh, per yeah, game yeah. is going to come out tomorrow. But yes, he he did the rankings. Along with that 24 ranking that he put out today for VT, he put us at the number 10, 10 best defense and the number 76th best offense for 2017. Uh, I'm hoping that offensive number comes up a little bit. Uh, not that that wouldn't be better than a number of offenses we've put out in the past, but I'm hoping Fuente can put a top 60, top 50 offense out there. Yeah, it, I think that's... I would be very surprised if we end up at the end of the season <laughs> around there, just given what Fuente was able to put together uh, last year with uh, a new quarterback, at least in his system. And it makes sense. A lot of the stats that these guys work off of our returning starter stats. And it's no surprise that with the turnover, we've had a wide receiver tight end and a quarterback that that's going to impact you pretty dramatically. So it makes sense, but let's just hope that, you know, that, uh, that moves up dramatically. <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping man, the next two things I have rankings for are returning production or returning experience, depending on how you want to look at it. Both Phil Steele and Bill Connolly put out an experience ranking, production ranking, and uh, according to Phil Steele, we are 103rd out of 130 teams, so that's not very good. <laughs> and then, <laughs> according to Bill Connolly, we come in at number 92 out of 130 teams. Um, the defense, we're 17th in the returning production, according to Bill Connolly, but the offense, we dropped down to 119, which dragged us to 92. So... Obviously, we know how much we lost in terms of production, and that's a lot what it's rated on. And when you lose your quarterback, I think that affects both of those numbers even more so. So um, we're hurting in terms of the returning production if you want to look at the metrics. But, you know, so is WVU. So is Pitt, you know, because we all lost quarterbacks, but we expect guys to step in and play well this year. So hopefully it's not as bad as those rankings indicate. The last ranking I had was our schedule strength. And Phil Steele is the most trusted, in, I think, in terms of ranking the strength of schedule. And he puts us at the 58th toughest. And that's music to both of our ears because that is the seventh weakest Power 5 schedule in college football. So it doesn't get much weaker than that. Because uh, once you're about the 60 level, that's all your you know Mountain West teams and MAC teams and AAC teams. So if you have the 58th toughest schedule as a Power 5 team, that's not too tough at all. Yeah, we that's that's music to the ears right there. And uh that's actually surprising. I hadn't heard that one yet. So I would be surprised with Clemson on there and West Virginia. Yeah, I guess it's just the turnover in the coastal at the QB position hurt a lot of those guys from a rankings uh perspective. So that I guess that makes sense. One of the reasons our strength of schedule is that low, I think, is because a lot of those teams are also not returning very much. Uh, I counted half of our schedule is 113th or worse in returning production, according to Bill Connolly. So that's ECU, Clemson, Miami, Pitt, UNC, and West Virginia are all bringing back less experience than we are. So that that's also a good thing. Uh, a lot of that is because a lot of those teams are replacing their QBs, like we just talked about. But um, we do have a couple teams returning their their starter at quarterback. Duke, 
UVA and ECU. So just three teams. Uh, Duke is bringing back Daniel Jones. UVA is bringing back Kurt Benkert. And ECU is bringing back Gardner Minshew, who just was named the starter over Thomas Sirk, which I found pretty surprising considering Sirk's ties to Montgomery. Yeah, I don't... That one I can't put two and two together, but something something must have happened there. And... Cirque um, had the injury last year, right? Didn't he? Was it a leg injury or whatever the case may be? And, Achilles, I think. Yeah, or Achilles. I'm wondering if it's because it's just so bizarre. And I know, you know, Menchu stepped in for a while there, but I thought Cirque was serviceable, and maybe this guy's better. But uh, especially the ties in there, that doesn't that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I guess we'll see what happens in production on the field, but that's not yeah, the. It makes me. Yeah, makes me ahead. a little nervous because uh, maybe he's really good because Thomas Sirk was good. And so if he's beating him out, it makes me nervous that he's a really good passer. Yep, I agree. A few of our other opponents have named their quarterback the last couple of weeks, uh, including us, Josh Jackson. And then um, Kelly Bryan at Clemson was just named the starter. Malik Rozier at Miami. And Max Brown at Pitt was officially named the starter. Most people assumed a couple of those, but uh, nevertheless, those are all official now. And, yeah, I mean, uh, if Max Brown didn't get the nod, I think he would have jumped off a bridge after what happened <laughs> at USC and then Darnold, you know, taking over, who's now the Heisman front runner, by the way, and then yeah. he transfers. If he if he didn't get the nod there, I think that would have been on uh, would have been a dangerous spot for him. Some other schedule notes. We obviously opened with a big one against West Virginia in a neutral site at FedEx. And then the national champs come to Blacksburg on September 30th. And I couldn't be more excited about it. I know you're a season ticket holder, so you are definitely going down. I am going to try to make it down. I don't know if I can <laughs> or want to pony up the money for the ticket price, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be... I have my fingers crossed that the season starts to play out the way it should, and, and maybe we get a nod for game day because it's a week slate that uh, that weekend. So let's you know knock on wood and hope that things go the right way. I also noticed our bye week slices the season directly in half, uh, which I think is a good thing. We finish with our six straight coastal opponents. We do our full out-of-conference, Clemson and BC, prior to the bye week and then fire up the coastal slate with North Carolina and then Duke in late October. Uh, the last thing I had on the schedule was we have a pretty tough back-to-back later in the season. We go to Miami on November 4th and then to Georgia Tech on November 11th. And those are probably the two best teams in the coastal other than us, at least in my opinion. And having them back-to-back on the road with the second one being the triple option isn't ideal. Yeah, that's not a that's not a good spot, uh, and the hype chain, train for Miami is rolling. So that is, regardless of whether Miami is as good as people have continued to make them out to be, they are certainly athletic. I don't think anybody can argue against that. It, it, there is a bunch of four star talent uh, loaded across the board for that team. So it's going to be a bruising game regardless of if they're good as, as a lot of the media wants to make them out to be, and then to turn around and go up against, um, you know, 
the chop blocks, cut blocks, whatever you want to call them, whether they're illegal or not, uh, then that's not yeah. going to be a lot of fun for our chop players. Block the clock. <laughs> exactly. If you could move the bye week, would you move it? Uh, I think it's hard to say right now. It depends on what happens in that Clemson game. So there's no excuse in the WVU game, right? Win or lose, we're going in fresh. Then we have three that we probably shouldn't lose, and then you have the Clemson game. So it's actually kind of nice to come off the Clemson game, have, and Boston College is athletic on the defensive side of the ball, but you know, we know what their offense looks like. It's nice to kind of reset before you go into that second stretch. I might actually push it back in the hopes that we could squeeze past North Carolina and Duke and have it right before the Miami game. <laughs> that that said, it's nice having it right in the middle before we hit the meat. I'm considering the meat of the Coastal, um, right. or really the ACC being um, that North Carolina game. So I could go either way. Yeah, I can't really decide because obviously you want your bye week right before Georgia Tech in a perfect world, but we don't play Georgia Tech until November 11th. So putting it that late, would the guys would really be hurting if we had to get all the way through Duke or all the way through Miami before the bye week. So uh, I'm happy where it is. Halfway through the season, that seems pretty fair for us, and I think I think it'll give us a chance to recharge after the emotionally draining Clemson game, win or lose and then hopefully finishing our business up in Chestnut Hill. Let's take a quick beer break before we move on to our position group previews, which is the meat and potatoes of this podcast. Robbie, what are you drinking? Uh, I am going with the Side Daddy. It is a collaboration here between Aslan, uh, which is in Herndon, Virginia. I've had it on the podcast before. I'll apologize. I know people want us to branch out from the double IPAs and IPAs, but they did a can release and they only do it once a week. And I can't make it there during the week. I just happen to be near the brewery. So I was going to pick up two Aslan beers as a preview for my second beer on here. It's also going to be from Aslan. Uh, it's pretty good. It's They specialize in your traditional double New England style IPAs. So you know what you're getting um, from a hop standpoint and it's good. It's right up my alley until, until the new England starts to get too much, which it sounds like it has for you. Uh, I'm still enjoying them whenever I can get my hands on a decent one. I'm drinking the Island in the sun and like you, and like many times in the past, what we do is we drink double IPAs on this podcast. So that's what I'm having as well. Uh, this is at a Conchahokan, which is just outside of Philadelphia and it's got a really cool can, Pac-Man style logo, and it's 8.9% alcohol. So it's it's a it's a hefty double. It's a little bitter. It's a little bit on the bitter side. It's got the Simcoe hops, mosaic hops, uh pineapple tropical flavor as so many IPAs are these days. It's still pretty good despite the bitterness, because that's that's not really my thing. It's still really good and really tasty for being just about 9%. Island in the Sun by Conshohocken Brewing, Brewing Company. Say that 12 times fast. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Try me. For the position groups, rather than just go through them uh, from strongest to weakest or offense to defense or whatever, we thought we'd have a little fun with it this year. 
the summer months are long and there's only so much college football content out there. I know I find myself in, in weird rabbit holes on Wikipedia all the time. Um, I look up things like the highest grossing films of all time, which would be Avatar. <laughs> uh, the best selling albums of all time. Robbie, do you know what it is? Best selling album of all time. I'm guessing a Beatles or a Michael Jackson album. It is Thriller. Nice. And the longest running TV shows of all time. Like, this is the kind of things I look up, which the longest running scripted show is, guess it? Uh, would that be The Simpsons? It is. And the longest running non scripted show? You'll never get Meet the Press. Oh, <laughs> tried. I tried. Uh, 69 years for Meet the Press. Anyway. I am always doing this. Like it's just the dumbest waste of my downtime there is. But anyway, got me thinking that might be fun to incorporate one of these all time lists into our preview. So with the help of the best songs of all time, according to Rolling Stone, we're going to go through all of Virginia Tech's position groups, matching a song with the position with which it best fits. So Robbie, without further ado, could you play the number six best song of all time? Uh... I love the colorful clothes you wear And the way the sunlight plays upon her hair I hear the sound of a gentle On the wind that lifts her perfume through the air I'm picking up good vibrations She's giving me the excitations Nice. The Beach Boys. Good vibrations. That's a classic right there. Vanilla Sky jumping off the top of a building. Tom Cruise. <laughs> just so many memories. It's a calming, happy song. And when I hear that song, I think of the DBs on the team. I don't know about you, but that's that's where I went with it. I just feel really happy and relaxed when I think about our secondary and it gives me good vibes. Which groups did you think of? I see you went the calming right. I went the explicit good vibrations and the hard hitting Reynolds, um, you know, Tremaine and what we get at the linebacker uh, position. So I'm going to go with them and the vibrations that they're going to cause on opposing on opposing teams uh, with some hard hitting this year. I kind of like that. I didn't really consider that one. All right. Well, let's do the linebackers then. Uh, they were the most, I thought, maligned group among our defense the last few years. And so um, I actually picked them for another song that's coming up, but this is a really, really talented group. And you're talking about vibrations. You have to talk about Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, that guy is such a hard hitter. You put out a tweet the other day that you're kind of getting nervous for the opposing teams because this kid is six foot five, two fifty, and is like a heat seeking missile. It, it's unbelievable. Yeah, and he packed on another 20 pounds, which he was already a hard-hitting uh, guy, and that's that's frightening. If I was on the other side, I would be... He's getting a ton of accolades. People are watching him all over the country. I hope it's not too much hype that uh, we're building him up with, but he's going to be a dangerous man this year. So that's our backer position is Tremaine. Uh, 106 total tackles last year, which was second on the team, only to Motua Puaka at Mike. Tremaine had 18 and a half tackles for loss, which was tied with Woody Barron for the lead on the team, but it was more TFLs than anyone's had on tech in years. And they both did it, which was amazing. And one of the reasons our defense 
took a step back up last year. He was 18th nationally in that category with 18.5 tackles for loss, nine QB hurries, which is another nice number, three pass breakups from the backer position, and one big interception in the bowl game. Motu Puaka in the middle is another reason that makes this thing go. And the thing I like about all these guys, and including Mook, who you mentioned a second ago, is they all play so aggressively. It's the most aggressive linebacking core I can remember us having in quite some time. Now, Moto gets a little locked up in his feet every now and again, and his his instincts have been the problem as opposed to his speed or size or athleticism. But I really think that as a senior this year, I'm hoping that he finally brings it full circle. Yeah, it's really gap fitting for him that I think most people have been that you know most concerned about is whether he's getting in there at the right times, whether he's thinking too much. I think he's also caught in way more flack than he should have. In particular, maybe not his first season, but the the last um, last season, 2016. Uh, a lot of people have tried to call him out, but overall, I think he had a dramatic improvement. And if he improves as much. Um, you know, year over year this year, I think he could be a huge net asset as long as he uh, doesn't let his, as you said, his mind tie up his feet and is more instinctual in in gap filling. The only other skill I feel like he could step it up on would be like shedding some blocks because sometimes he does get caught up. Yep, that's true. That he'll get pushed back sometimes on, and that that's a little bit frustrating when he gets hit, and it just looks like. You know he's putting in effort. No, he's not, but it kind of looks like he's just taking it on the chin. Moog Reynolds emerged as a huge playmaker for us last year, so I'm I'm hoping that he continues that, and he gives us so much versatility because he can be a nickel corner, essentially, but he also hits as hard as a linebacker, and he can cover, and he can fill a gap, and he can just do it all. So Mook and Dion Newsom, who's now backing him up, both seem to have those traits, and I'm that that makes us just so much more dynamic. Now, you're never going to be able to match Tremaine's size and speed, but guys like Mook and Dion that are going to be that whip position linebacker, I mean, they're, they're the ones that are really going to make us able to do so many different things on defense, and it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I think Mook, uh, he seems, a lot of his highlights, and even from when I, uh, I tweeted out today, uh, which which featured Mook in there as they were characterizing him as an as the nickel in in that film that was put out. I feel like his um, his ability his backfield ability and the ability to rush and and make tackles I think is his true kind of calling rather than coverage. But he is he's good at both. I just I like him more as you said when he's playing that that linebacker role more so than dropping back into coverage. Yeah, I'll give you an example of how he's good at both. Nine and a half tackles for loss, six pass breakups. So he's doing it, he's doing it on both sides, man. He's, he's just that good. Uh, as for the other backups, Tavante Beckett at Mike had a good spring and a lot of hard hits over that spring at Mike linebacker. And then uh, Dylan Rivers will probably – be backing up backer, but Anthony Chagog, I think, has the second spot locked up. And Chagog had some big plays in that bowl game also in that comeback. So Chagog is a versatile player too. And, uh, you know, he was a whip guy, and I think they moved him over to backer for depth. But 
he's he's just a player. He's a football player. I've liked Chagog since his high school tape. I'm, I'm a big fan. Yep, I agree. All right, why don't you play us the next song on the countdown, number five. Well, the title speaks for itself. We're looking (laughs) – Aretha Franklin, respect. We're looking for a group that deserves a little respect. So mine was the linebackers because I felt like because people have been picking on them, you know, Deion Clark and even going back a little bit farther, you know, there was always – why aren't we Xavier, DB, and, and Hall? You know, why why aren't we that level? And so I felt the linebackers were finally going to get the respect they deserve this year. So that's why I picked them for that song. But since we already did our linebacker preview, who do you like at, at number five, respect? So I will go with the DBs because, and more literal, I, I love that group. Uh, I think there's a lot of talent there. Uh, and in particular with the turnover that we've seen and alluded to, in uh, the Coastal, really the ACC in general, at the QB position, they're going to have to be paying a lot of attention respect to those guys. So I'll go more literal than that. Well, the linebackers, I think, are earning respect finally, but the DBs for a long time have demanded it, and they deserve it. So we'll do the DBs. Now, we lost Chunk Clark, but this is a veteran group. Uh, free safety Terrell Edmonds, the the brother of Tremaine. I mean, 89 tackles. Four interceptions led the team, three pass breakups, and one very important fake punt, again, in the bowl game. That fake punt is awesome. <laughs> Still one of my favorite things. The, the, that reception was great because the pass wasn't very good, and, and Edmonds was on the receiving end. Nearly fell over trying to catch it because it wasn't <laughs> a very good pass, but he kept running, and, and the, you know, the rest is history. Uh, three all-ACC caliber corners, in my personal opinion, in Faison. Adonis Alexander and Greg Stroman. Faison had 11 pass breakups, led the team. Stroman just behind him with 10. Alexander had seven. And between those three, we had five picks. Faison didn't have any, but Stroman had three and Alexander had two. Um, at Rovers, the only position we're replacing, we're replacing Clark. And so Reggie Floyd seems to be stepping in nicely. Now, a lot of people thought Devin Hunter was the heir apparent, but. He was slowed by a concussion in camp, yeah. but Floyd's been looking good. Yeah, he had a concussion in camp, but I think you're you're spot on. And the concussion in camp, even if Floyd uh, early on shows some weakness, uh, Hunter is getting better. And it's they said he's getting better. He's starting to get his feet underneath him and get uh, acquainted to, to the speed of the game a lot faster. Stroman, I think, uh, at least pro football focus, put out that... It was um, com- like completion percentage on a um, defensive back or something like that, and Stroman was one of the top in the nation. It was a, some really low percentage, uh, which looking back on the year, I know especially early on people gave uh, Stroman uh, hell for what happened the year before, but he really turned it on. I think he's going to be exciting. Basin is, is going to be interesting to see. He had an injury, you know, after his freshman can true freshman campaign, and he had to deal with 
uh, an injury as well. Now, multiple injuries. Yeah, multiple injuries. So it'll be interesting to see with um, if he can get back to full form finally because he was such a talent uh, in playing opposite Fuller that first year. And then Adonis Alexander, I think we all love. He's just a very versatile, is great in coverage, can make uh, significant lateral kind of moves when people try and make cuts on him and can break stuff up. So I think those are all. And then, of course, you have the Edmonds brother of uh you know terrell is is hiding a little bit in tremaine's shadow but they're both exceptional talents alexander's makeup speed when he is chasing someone is just absolutely incredible and he's just gotten bigger and more muscular every year he could really have a breakout season and leave for the nfl i mean you could have both Edmonds and alexander all leaving for the nfl after this year if if it goes as good as we hope it does uh, I hope none of them leave or whatever, but you know they're probably going to lose one or two of them. Uh, as for the backups, we've got Divine Diablo, Khalil Ladler, which I think Ladler's backing up free safety and Diablo is rover, but maybe both of them are free safety. I just know those are our backups at safety, and Devin Hunter's mixed in there too for rover. They also said Devin Hunter's going to do a little bit of uh, special team stuff, too. I imagine. Um, I mean, usually with those guys, you're trying to get them on the field. I don't think they're going to, you know, they're not going to have him, uh, you know, leading the charge down there. But it's nice. It's a nice way to get people on the field, especially coming off of a concussion or something like that. You can put them in a little bit of a safer position if um, if uh, they, they can still f- see the field, but they're not taking every down. Right. And then the last two backups I had were Rodgers and Quillen at uh, corner. And there, there's been a lot of good words said about those two kids too. And uh, one of them will probably be a nickelback and, and Rodgers will probably be on the outside, but we're not exactly sure. But nevertheless, it's a deep and talented group. Not, not as deep as the linebackers, I don't think, but pretty close. And these are, you know, the two shining stars of our defense. And I guess talking about them first is good, but they just happen to go with these two songs, according to both of us. So, Robbie, <laughs> why don't you play us the uh, the next song on the list, number four? Welcome to Slow Jams. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I had to wait till we get to that 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 punchline part. I couldn't cut it wait, off before then. You cut you cut it off. I, well, yes, but it was getting way too emotional. <laughs> There's only one other Marvin Gaye song that we could have played that would have made this more awkward. And uh, yeah, we're not yeah, going well, there. That's true. Uh, but yeah, what's going on by Marvin Gaye? Uh, that to me, you know, again, the title speaks for itself. What is going on to me? The position that that screams is wide receiver. I have to go with the same thing. It's both the question and the there's not a lot of bravado. I would consider it that's kind of a pacifist, you know, kind of uh song if you will, uh and given what we'll yeah. hit on the next one, I, I think it's <laughs> yeah. 
it's there's a couple of those coming up, but this one is also a little bit softer. And I don't I don't think of our wide receiver position as um, you know a lot of bravado kind of flaunt or anything like that. It, those guys are just keeping their head under <laughs> underwater and just you know don't want to screw anything up at this point. Um, except, I, and you'll probably bring this up. Obviously, Cam Phillips at ACC Day was a little bit different the, with the glasses yeah. and everything. And he can be the Marvin Gaye of that group. How about that? I like that. <laughs> I think that's perfect. And he's got the he's got the style and the swag. He's for got it. the glasses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know what to expect, man. I mean, we we have a lot of bodies. We talked about that with Joe on our last podcast, and you know, Cam went nearly a thousand yards last year. And so he deserves superstar status. I mean, we've only had one receiver go for a thousand yards in a season and it was his essentially running mate and, and Isaiah Ford coming in, in the same class, but Cam went 983 yards last year, 76 receptions, just three catches behind Isaiah and five touchdowns. And throughout the year, I think both of us agreed that Cam was better and better at getting yards after the catch. Yeah, no, I I agree. I we went through the stats before, but uh, he has a shiftiness about him that none of us really expected. I didn't expect some of the plays that he pulled off, faking out, you know, TBs, safeties, quarterbacks, whatever the case may be. When he was catching some of those balls, he is a yard after catch kind of guy, and he's very. Uh, the way he plays is unassuming about it. If the, if that makes sense, you know, it's it's no surprise that somebody like Bucky Hodges, who falls over when they would catch the ball, isn't getting a lot of you know yards after catch. But um, you know, I think when I looked at the stats between him and Isaiah Ford, I was blown away by how much um, you know the only person that beat him out and it was only by a yard was Sam Rogers. And that's because of think of the plays that Sam Rogers was getting in like those pop passes and things. They were setting up yards after catch to him uh, on purpose. Whereas cam was playing a true wide receiver slot and finding a way to get away from people and, and to create yards. Yeah, he can do it all. I mean, deep, short possession yards after the catch rushing. Even, I mean, cam had 30 attempts and 140 rushing yards last year a 4.7 average. I mean, it was one of the, I think he was the second, yes, the second most returning rushing yards on the team for this upcoming year was Cam Phillips. That's So it's Trayvon and then Cam. Wow. Um, So now as we get to the other guys, can you play, can you play the chorus for us, please? Perfect. All right, and that's that's what we're trying to figure out. What's going on? Who's going to step up? Is it going to be Kuma, my my favorite for to be the, you know the the second leading receiver behind Cam, Phil Patterson, C.J. Carroll? Uh, who do you have after that? Um, it's tough. Uh, in terms of receptions, I have C.J. Car- Carroll. Uh, in terms of yardage. And I, I think of those as two. I mean, C.J. Carroll is going to be coming. His slot position is going to be imperative, especially for the younger guys on the outside in order to open them up, given his experience. But I don't think it's going to lead to him. People are going to be looking at two people. One's going to be Cam Phillips, and the other eye they're going to have on is Carroll because they're the only people that have touched the ball much. I like Kuma. I also like Patterson, just given his his size. I don't know. I, I there's we're shut off from most of 
what's actually happening in the field. It's kind of frustrating. Um, but I do feel like there is enough talent. There's 10 guys, or I don't know what the number is, eight probably, eight guys that are trying to fill you know, two primary slots. I know we want a lot more wide receivers than that, but two production spots. And I feel like somebody's going to step up. It, it would be... We would be showing a serious lack of recruiting if we can't come up with two out of eight guys to put together some decent production. So I hope it's one of those two because I think they're the most talented, but I, I feel like we're going to find them. Yeah, the other leading candidate I would think would be Pimpleton, but it's a question of who's going to be that starting slot because I was looking at the heights of our wide receivers on our roster, and I think I counted like eight guys that are 5'10 or under. So that's eight slot receivers right there. <laughs> uh, and I, I don't know who the starter is. It's probably Carroll, but I think it could be Pimpleton. And then everyone's been talking up Savoy too. Sean Savoy, who's a, an incoming uh, true freshman. Uh, and, you know, he's been getting a lot of love. Sam Denmark's been in the program two years now. Henry Murphy, we know, is a slot guy and, and might be a jet sweep guy as well. And Hezekiah Grimsley, another incoming freshman, has gotten some some love from the coaching staff. Clark, the guy from OSU, I'm just keep going down, but they're all five ten or under. I don't know who's gonna Denmark's taller, but yeah, those Denmark's other guys, taller. they're they're all, you know, they're all slot ish receivers. So is it gonna be Carroll or Pimpleton or Savoy who who is the slot guy? And then Kuma, I think, has to have a spot because he's the tallest, biggest receiver we have. Six two, two twenty. I mean that's Mm-hmm. That's a man right there. That's like T.O. Like, yeah, that's, that's a big That's guy. a really big, big wide out. So he'll be on the outside. And Phil Patterson's pretty big too. So I, between all those guys, someone's got to come through. And my money's on Kuma for yardage behind Cam. I don't catches. It's going to probably be who, uh, who's ever in the slot. I don't yeah. know who that's going to be. I think it's going to be C.J. Carroll. I mean, he – I know he didn't have a ton of production last year, but – I think he, I think it's enough to with a bunch of. He's the gray beard amongst a bunch of you know, <laughs> children at this at this point. So um, and he uh, was putting on more production as it went on. Yeah, too. I agree. Like, yeah. he had a nice stretch there towards the middle end of the season. All right, Robbie, why don't you play us the next song, number three on the countdown. It's getting good in here, I think. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, you know, this was the hardest one for me in terms of picking a position group which matches it because Imagine is it's kind of a song about peace and football is a, a violent sport. Um, but you know what? I, I went with the running backs. And the reason why uh, it's not so clear, but I'm imagining having a strong running game again. <laughs> So, and I think I'm going to be only able to imagine it because I don't think it's really ever going to happen like it was in the Lee Suggs or Kevin Jones days. Uh, And I've also made my quote unquote peace with it not being the case. So I'm trying, I'm trying here. Imagine's a tough song to match a sports group to. What did you have? I don't know. I wish we... We should put kickers on here or something along those lines. <laughs> uh, you can do special teams. Yeah, I don't know if we want to do that. It might be a little much. 
I'm going to... This one's a little just obscure, just like yours. I'm going to go with the defensive line. Probably the least peaceful of all the groups on here. But mine is, imagine if we had the same talent at defensive end that we have at defensive tackle. That would be ideal. And John Lennon um, was a very peaceful person and hoped for world peace. But if we had those four bodies stretched across that defensive line that all matched up to to Walker and settle, it would be, um, that would be a frightening group and make make me happy. (laughs) When I think of our defensive line, I'm thinking more of like uh, a big butts. Like (laughs) Sir Mix-a-Lot might be better. I don't know. And they say, what, what is it? Uh, little in the middle, but she got much back. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) right. our, Our defensive line is more like, Big in the middle, but we ain't got much back because we lost a lot. <laughs> I think that's right. <laughs> um. Anyway, I don't know. That was a strange aside. What do you want to do? D line or running backs? What should we talk about? Let's do the D line. All right. Let's enjoy. Let's enjoy it for a moment. So we've got Timmy Settle and Ricky Walker right in the middle. Those are our two big butts that don't lie. Let me just pull up my notes here. 13 and a half tackles for loss for those guys last year. Now, I expect that to go way up because they were playing mostly as backups. Uh, you, we had Nigel and we had Woody Barron, who clearly took a ton of production. And Settle and Walker, when they step in, Walker played more than Settle did. But um, when they step in, that those numbers should go way up in terms of their combination and and Walker's a guy who gets after the quarterback from the defensive tackle position. Four hurries for him, and he gets his hands up. Four pass breakups. He plays angry, and that's something that John Laser said, and I, I fully agree with it. And and a couple of the other guys on defensive line we'll talk about at the end position, I think, kind of do too. But Walker kind of, I think, will set the tone for Settle because Settle, whenever you see him, he's like laughing and having a good time. Now, he's... He's a good player, and he's a you know a very nimble defensive tackle for his size, and he's a space eater. But I think he could be he could be meaner. He could be more have an attitude about him, and maybe that'll come with with playing more. Well, hey, I think it, there were during the press conference the other day. I don't know if if you saw it. So Walker and, and Settle, I don't know if they're roommates, but they're they're like boys, and I'm pretty sure Walker who was a year ahead of Settle, if I have that right, kind of, and maybe, maybe, I don't think he's a year ahead, took Settle like under his wing when he was early on. And, you know, he's been, those two have been very close. So to your point, I think that he's probably teaching him to be a little bit more mean. I don't know uh, (laughs) if, if how much you can actually change somebody's personality, but you know, having that relationship between those two, I think, is important because it's like it's like having one of your buddies that you know when they screw up on the golf course and you're playing with somebody else, you can't really give them shit. But when it's your boy, you can like, you, and they're on your team, you're like, dude, what <laughs> sure. what are you doing? And you can say it, and you can get in their face, and you know, you know, jab them a little bit more than you could otherwise. So I think it's a positive for those two to be um, relatively close. Now, when you get behind those two, a defensive tackle, I think they're going to be very good. But when you go to the backups, it gets a little bit more questionable. Uh, I'm seeing Jimmy Taylor. I think Bud likes him. And Darius Fullwood was a high recruit. 
Gerard Hewitt. Uh, I think they like him as well. And then Xavier Burke has been playing there uh, at a necessity. He's a former tight end, and they moved him to end, and now he's at tackle. And even Mahota could play a little little tackle as well. But the backups are a little bit more thin. I think Taylor and Hewitt are the two leaders back there. Um, it'd be nice if we still had Steve Zobchak, I guess. Yeah, that would be a big help. And, yeah, it's thin. It's not as thin as the position that we're about to get into, um, at least from my read of things and the confidence that we've heard from from Bud of that the defensive defensive tackle spot. But, yeah, I mean, it's not great. You'd like to be able to get Walker and, and settle some time um, every now and then on the sideline to take a – you know, uh, a, a big breath and, and get a breather and feel like there's not that much of a drop off. There will be, but I also don't know how much that's because of how good settle and Walker are, if that makes sense versus, mm-hmm. um, you know, do we have adequate defensive tackle play without those two? And those guys are elite. I don't know, but I think this is certainly the season that we're going to find out because they should, they're as good as we think. Granted, they're going to be going up against a lot of double team, uh, on the inside, they they should be blowing through people, and I, we should be seeing some sacks. I would imagine this this year getting through some porous offensive lines that I think we may face in a in a few places on the schedule. So let's switch to defensive end then, and this is where there will be a little bit more of a drop off, at least on one side, and and that's because we lost Kenneth Canham, and so Trevon Hill, who played a lot last year, and in Canham's place when he was hurt. Uh, will be stepping in. And I like Hill's game. Uh, he obviously needs more polish. And Mahota on the other side, who was a, you know, starting opposite of Canham, really showed me a lot last year. So you're not you're not obviously losing anything there. And I think Mahota can take a step forward because he had those shoulder problems all season and was still playing really well. Yeah, he couldn't get but, it, he couldn't get his arms up very well at all. I mean, he was it was a struggle. And he was still making plays. And that's I, – I love Vinny Mahota. And he just seems like a tough guy. And, again, like a – I don't want to say a mean, but like playing with aggression, playing angry. And, and I think Mahota, he's always been a bull. So between Walker and him – and I know Hill has some dog in him too. I mean he's – I think – pretty sure he's a 757 kid. And, and they've said that since he got on campus that – you know, he was slowed by an injury, but Hill could be big time too. So there's upside with Hill. It just might take a little bit longer. And um, having gains there, I think is, I think that's a positive given what a lot of people in, you know, in, during spring and summer were the number one thing. If you asked anybody what they were concerned about, almost even an above wide receiver was what was going to happen at defensive end. I think that's calmed down a little bit approaching the season, which is kind of a nice, a nice occurrence for right. us. Usually it gets worse as you get closer uh, for us. Well, that's with because, Gaines coming in. That's nice. Yeah. I mean, Gaines getting academically eligible again is huge. And the fact is Gaines Hill and Mahota, none of which played in spring. You know, we had, Injuries for both Hill and Mahota, and Gaines was out with an academic issue. And, and Gaines has shown promise on the field. It's off the field that's been the issue. And if he stays on the field, I think he'll be good. And he's probably in a little bit of the doghouse right now because uh, he's probably the backup, uh, the number one defensive end backup. Uh, I just think that he might not be listed there or talked about as much because of those off-the-field issues. Yep. As, as far as the other defensive end backups – 
You got Ray Miner and Emmanuel Belmar, who I think have both. I mean, Miner is a guy who left the team and came back. Belmar is a young kid, uh, but they both look decent, and I think they both can take snaps. Hopefully, not too too many, but uh, but but spot duty. I think they'll be able to handle it at least early on. I want to say a couple more things about Mahota. I just think that this guy, his run defense has always been good. It's whether he can really rush and get after the passer, I feel like. is. But the thing that he does against the passer is he gets his arms up, even in shoulder straps. He had a lot of passer breaks. I saw he's 6'5", so once he gets his hands up, you know he's, he's making a nice block. Three pass breakups and a block kick last year. And I love that from a defensive end. Getting your hands up is such a key thing. It's what the best ones do in, in the NFL and otherwise. And Mahota, he just seems to be that, that guy that he might not be the most talented or most athletic, but he's just going to keep coming and coming and coming. And so I, I, I'm a big fan of any Mahota. It's going to be hard as hell to be getting blocked and then throw your arms straight up in the air and then try and block a pass or a kick. I can't think of anything more difficult or less instinctual because your instinct is to keep your arms down and to like you know not to completely right. you know undo it. So I, I I just that blows. It's one of those things in my football in football it just blows my mind the ability of those guys to just you know snap and away from instinct and then be able to you know recognize when they need to put their arms up and and be able to get a you know block a pass. Yeah, and between Walker and him, they both do it, and I, I think that could go a long way this year because they're, they're both big guys and they can, they can get their hands on the football. They won't be as polished as last year's line, but I think they're going to play a little angrier. I think they're going to play a little meaner. And I think there's going to be more big plays from this defensive line potentially um, than last year, more swats at the football, maybe some few more forced fumbles, tipped passes for INTs. I don't know, but more big plays. Can you play us the next song in the countdown, which is number two? All right, Rolling Stones, Satisfaction. That's a good one, man. And I don't think Well, let me ask you first. What do you what do you think is your what do you think matches that the best? I'm going to have to go with uh, offensive line for me. Yep. So <laughs> yeah, that's what I got. <laughs> for me, we probably have different ways of going about this, but uh, Wyatt Teller is a world beater. Everybody knows it. He is a machine and can pancake people. He's on, again, not to reference over and over again, but I like people that are much better in, uh, at this than us. Um, the key play has always been on top of him in terms of how good he is, but Pro Football Focus talks about how he is one of the kind of meanest, just finish blocking offensive linemen, and they put their his highlights out all the time of him pancaking people. Other than that, it's just every year... I I feel like we struggle so much in the offensive line, and 
I look at these other schools, like take Stanford, for instance. Stanford just like wakes up in the morning and they have five four-star genius offensive linemen like right across right. the front. And there's just these Iowa, schools. Yeah, Wisconsin. We're never going to be that school. We just don't, you know, we don't have the recruiting ground for it. We have to go up to Pennsylvania to get them. We have to steal them out of Ohio State. We have to go to Michigan. There's, there. Let's just put it this way: we're not in prime offensive lineman recruiting territory. We're not a state founded on cheese, so we're, <laughs> you know, we don't have a bunch of dairy farmers that are uh, that are becoming offensive linemen potentially, like Wisconsin. You know, the Virginia struggles to produce them, and and that's one of the reasons that our fans are, should I say, so unsatisfied by the offensive line position, and that's why I chose the offensive line for satisfaction. And, you know, no matter what they do, people are going to complain about the offensive line. Even last year when it was not great, but better than it's been, um, people, you know, they want to harp on the negative and, and I get it. We had people, guy, two, three, four guys snapping footballs all over the goddamn place last year. And it was annoying. And the right side of the line struggled and, and even Yo struggled at times, and, and and Teller would have brain farts, and so yes, the line wasn't perfect, but and Chung's still lost. here, and that's now yeah. year six for him, I think. Um, it, so, and maybe this is the year because I think they're going to be counting on Chung to play right guard rather than center, so he won't be snapping the football over the quarterback's head or or anything else. Um, but the left side of the line is strong. We do have Josh Nijman and Teller, who are both physically just superior to just about anyone on the team other than maybe Tremaine. Uh, they're absolutely beast of I mean, Nijman looks skinny <laughs> at 300-some pounds. Yeah. Like, it's it's unbelievable because he's just that big. Yeah. The le- uh, left side, I, I think, think everybody feels yeah. pretty good about. And they're both going to be all ACC caliber. I, whether it's first team, second team, third team, I don't know. But Yosh and Teller are making – they're making an all ACC team. The rest of the line, it's going to probably be Gallo at center. Fuente, he said that he's you know very steady and people might take issue with that. Uh, I think he might have been a little nicked up in spring and that – was part of the reason he wasn't playing so well. Who knows? But Gallo is from Philly. That's where I live now, so I'm going to stick up for him a little bit. I think he'll have an okay year at center. I think that year three starting, you know, he'll he'll be better. He'll be more solid and even more consistent than he's been. As for right guard, that's the one in question. Is it going to be Faf? Is it going to be Chung? Or is it going to be Osterlaw? I know Osterlaw is probably the backup tackle, but you know, I, I just don't know what's going to happen at guard. Well, yeah, it's but and the weird part is, is that behind them um, collectively with Chung and Osterlaw, that you and you actually have a lot of, I guess, years on the team and a little bit of experience there. But I don't know who's going to end up in that spot. I I had heard for a little bit that it was going to be Chung. That that was yeah. kind of a, I think that was over maybe the summer or the end of the spring that it started to look that direction. I have no clue what's going to end up happening on that right side. Uh, I just know that I, I, I'm actually not that concerned about the offensive line overall. I guess if I had to weigh out you know, the left side versus the right side and playing to our strengths and hopefully you know people are going to be all over Gallo, but uh, I, I feel like there are enough 
reps on the offensive line that it should be halfway decent. Not good, not great, but halfway decent. There's enough reps between either the starters or the backups. And if the starters happen to be fresher bodies, then, you know, we have somebody to, you know, kind of push them and say, hey, if you don't get your act together, somebody else is coming in. Yeah, I just hope that whoever is going to be that right guard is chosen and stuck with for a little while just just for chemistry purposes this and if you want to talk about chemistry let's talk about this offensive line and the the coaches they've had over the last few years i mean they haven't had the same coach for two years in a row since now in in a while so whether it's Faffer chung or osterlaw it's it's probably going to be one of Faffer chung starting at right guard and then tyrell smith seems to have the right tackle position locked down so Whoever it is at right guard, just just get the chemistry going, you know, because the other force positions are pretty much set. Get that chemistry in place. And it's it's nice to have Osterloh's uh, experience and versatility because he can play some guard. He can play some tackle. We can withstand an injury, one injury on that, on that right side, I yeah. guess. Um, if Teller or Yosh goes down, it's going to be a problem probably. But things like the, the – the, the, the- Worst, but the bad part is, is that TJ Jackson actually. People were saying good things about him early on, yeah, but he's. Are you going to flip him over and put him on a on the the right side of the line, and as opposed I mean, to we Cohen? Can, maybe I mean, right. So it'll be we it'll can be go farther. I mean, Zach Hoyt is another backup center potential option if Gallo were to go down, and we've got a, a Cannon as well could step in at center. I think he's had some snapping. Uh, He's done some snapping responsibilities. Uh, there are there are guys, the, unlike years past, and, and we're kind of just, this is how it always goes. We start off kind of positive, and then we start to get negative and negative. But stepping back, like you said, it's going to be pretty good. It's going to be pretty okay. Yeah. We, we have more depth despite you know our our angst. We have more depth than we've had in a while. And the starters are pretty good, so let's just go with let's it. just be happy with what we got. All right, Robbie, why don't you play us the number one song on the countdown? And these are not our. Just so to reiterate, as this has gone on, these are not ours. These are Rolling Stones top songs of all time. So yes. I don't want to get like nasty tweets about us picking out terrible songs. Um, so here we go. Oh, yeah, let this one play a little bit. Once upon a time, you dressed so fine, threw the bumps of dime in your prime. Then you, people call, say, beware, doll, you're bound to fall, you thought they were all kidding you. Next 
Like a Rolling Stone, Bob Dylan. Great song. It's a great song. And it's no wonder Rolling Stone picked that song, right? Yeah. Well, think about this. Number two was the Rolling Stones Can't Get No Satisfaction. Number one, which I think they trolled everybody. It's actually kind of funny. Yeah. And then number one is like a Rolling Stone. So, but it is a fantastic song. No, it's 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 very drawn out to get to uh, the course of it and get into the punchline. But I love it. Okay, so for me, and since this is number one, and the song is essentially about a reality check, uh, being on your own, uh, a woman who's fallen from grace. I'm going to go with the QB, Josh Jackson, because everything's on his shoulders, and that's why I, you know. He's not on his own. He's got a team, but I think you get the idea. No, I'm on board, and I just hope everybody keeps their expectations in check. If you are expecting to see come out game one looking like a you know a new manifestation of Gerard Evans, that's it could happen. It's not going to happen in my mind. There, the skill sets are a bit different. I think that Josh does bring something to the table in the passing game that. Um, but he also lacks, I think, in, in the rushing game, some of that moxie taken on the chin. You know, a lot of the things that allowed Gerard Evans to put together the season that he did, despite not having the experience, at least at, you know, outside of uh, the level he was playing at, at the, at, you know, moving up to the power five level and seeing those types of defenses, his, his kind of attitude and his strength, the ability to rush the ball allowed us a lot more flexibility and put some W's on the board that we probably wouldn't have otherwise. And it padded the stats a little bit in a way that now we're looking to somebody that I think is going to be a little bit more of a passing quarterback, which I don't care who you put out there. Outside of you know Sam Darnold and you know the few guys every year that manage to do it at a, a you know early in their careers, it's there's going to be some growing pains. And unfortunately for us, that's in the early in the season we have um, you know a, a pretty big opponent coming up quickly. This offense it does demand a lot of the quarterback, and so whether it's quick reads or mesh point proficiency as French would say and accuracy running all of those components come into play in Fuente's offense. I think Josh is going to be good at all of them. I don't think he's going to excel necessarily at any of them except for maybe touch passing accuracy. I think he is a very good passer and I think that's one of his strengths and he goes through his reads better than Gerard maybe ever did. Uh, and, and, We'll we'll find out soon enough, but that's that's a hunch and also just some stuff from what we've heard. Well, and that gives him, in my mind, a higher upside. But and right. that, but it 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 makes things more of a challenge early, right? And that's yes. something that takes a while to, and not a while. I don't mean it's going to take two years or a year and a half. I mean it just it takes more than what Gerard Evans was able to come out and do in um, you know game one, game two. Because that that requires a cohesion with your wide receivers, with your tight ends, with your running back. Uh, to your point on handoffs on the on the mesh point, getting that down, it's there's a lot there as a passing quarterback that um, you can hide or obscure or make up for 
if you're a bulldozing running or a bulldozing right. running quarterback, I should say. Yeah, as long as he takes care of the football, and I think that's probably one of the main reasons he won this job is because that Fuente feels that he's going to be the most careful with the football and and the most consistent. Uh, then he'll be successful, and I I'm hoping that's the case because you know even Gerard had his issues uh, with he didn't throw a lot of interceptions, but he had problems holding onto the football here and there. Um, as for the backups. We've got A.G. Bush and we've got Hendon Hooker, the two guys that he was competing with. Hooker, I would guess, barring an injury or disaster, is going to redshirt. And then uh, A.J. Bush will be the backup. And Bush is – he could be a bruising runner. I, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if he got a, a package of plays. That's another thing, you know, that Fuente just praised his, his athleticism. Uh, Bush will probably be running the football or – in on some gadget plays or sweeps. Who knows? Yeah, no, I agree. And even if he's not, it's just great to have uh, an older, more mature guy that's behind yeah. a younger. That's what you always want. It's just, you know, that older, that older mind that can, can see plays, call it whatever you want. But AJ Bush has seen a lot of football in his years in comparison to all these other guys. So, um, and you know, and Hooker hasn't seen any at the collegiate level, and Josh Jackson's seen one year. Uh, so to get that guy that's seen football, that can look at the plays, that when you know there's a timeout, you know, can go up and and tell Josh Jackson what he's seeing. That's that's just a positive. There's no negatives to that, and you know, let's just hope that it doesn't come to a place where he's in needs to play. And if we find a package for him, then that's even more exciting. I really thought that anytime AJ Bush got a chance to speak, he said the right things, and he seems like a very hard worker. Uh, I don't know. I, you know, I'm disappointed for him for not winning the job. I didn't really ever expect him to win the job, but the more I looked into the guy and watched what he had to say, I was rooting for him a little bit. I, and I think he's going to get his chance to make some plays this year, so I'm at least happy for that. Yep. So I feel better about the QB position. I mean, the fact that Fuente had the confidence to name Jackson the starter when he did, and we talked about it earlier, and then have a nice veteran as a backup. You know, if if Jackson goes out with a bum ankle like Evans did in a game, you know, I I would feel okay about Bush coming in and firing off some passes or making some inverted VR runs or whatever it may be. Well, and think about what that happened in that situation. And the age difference was, was not the same, right? But... The collegiate experience difference was was with Motley and Evans and what was happening right. in that situation. And remember how, you know, I remember the next day, people may forget it, how how appreciative people were of the way that Motley kind of went in and did his thing and then was fine to just, you know, step back into the shadows when it came time. Like, there was no big deal. Yeah. That's maturity. And I think A.J. Bush will provide us just that. So we have a couple other positions to talk about that we didn't get through in the songs. We finished our countdown. I hope everyone enjoyed it. But we still have to talk about the H-back slash tight end position and the running back position. Uh, I think that's it outside of special teams. So why don't we go with the running backs? That's something that I know is on a lot of people's minds. We've got 
a handful of dudes. It's probably going to be a committee. I, I, I think I hear Shane Beamer's music in the background uh, because, you know, we've got to pare down this running back rotation yet again. But I, I think that the top end of the town is far better than it was in those years when Shane was here. We've got McMillan who, you know, whether this coaching staff loves him or not, he's a good player, a very good runner, uh, good vision. Really, the way he moves through holes is is solid. It's just he never seemed to be in Fuente's favor, and I'm hoping that that changes this year. We've also got Stephen Peoples, bruising guy, uh, can catch a little, was in on a couple of Gadget plays himself last year. Fullback to fullback touchdown. We'll never forget that. And, and then we've got two younger guys. One in McLeese who had to leave last year with an injury. And Jalen Holston, the incoming true freshman. I think these are the four guys that people are looking to to, to take the bulk of the carries. Uh, I think there will be plenty of carries for wide receivers. But I'm interested to hear your thoughts and and who you, what your hierarchy would be of these guys. My uh, I don't know if I have a hierarchy, quite frankly. I think um, I think I probably have a hierarchy between McMillan and McLeese because those are a little bit more known from at least, you know, having had been potential. You know, Stephen Peoples was, was, was not coming in as – I didn't think of him as a, you know, a running back going into this whole thing. So I think McMillan – has shown it on the field, has the experience, has can can definitely put it together. I think McLeese is probably more shifty, speedy, you know, but the question is is what do we want to get back to, which I think is more of a vertical kind of hard-nosed running game and sadly of all the people on here, it seems like people's is probably uh more indicative of you know, the type of running game that we would like to get back to. I don't know if it's something that's going to happen again um, that for Virginia Tech, and I don't know if it's something that Fuente actually cares about happening um, because his version of the run game is very different than what we remember back in the, the good old days of hard-nosed downhill running in Virginia Tech history. Yeah, I mean... You- you're looking for a bell cow. Any offense is generally looking for just someone who can take the ball 20, 25 times and, and get you the yard that you're looking for. And, and we don't really have that right now. I think as a group, they can, they can do that. And down the road, Holston could be that, you know, he's got the body type and the speed and, you know, from his high school tape, the vision to do something like that. But he's young. He's a true freshman. And I think as the year goes on, he'll get more carries. I love Trayvon McMillan. And I like, you know, I really love Stephen Peoples too. Those are probably going to be the two leading rushers. McLeese is a smaller guy in terms of height, has some decent mass on him. He's a change of pace guy. He's not as small as like a Darren Sproles type, that kind of speed or, you know, you know, he's not that small or anything like that, but he's your change of pace back. And McMillan and Peoples will be the guys who are carrying it more. I think they feel more comfortable with, with Peoples as a receiver, though McMillan caught more passes last year. I, I don't really know. I just feel like you need to be able to block, number one, as a running back in Fuente's offense, and catch, 
number two. Running is kind of third. I I, I don't know. No, do I think, think that's actually 100% true. <laughs> and I think that might be why Peoples was getting so much kind of recognition because I think it's been clear, and they said it even last year, if I'm not mistaken, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Even last year, they said Stephen Peoples is the best blocker out of the group, I think by far. Uh, so, and that's, it's hard to digest to think about our running game as, you know, that's what it's come to. We're, you know, blocking first, catching passes second, and then running third. That's not exactly the, uh, you know, the, the history of Virginia Tech running backs, but I'll tell you what, if it puts W's up on the board, I don't think anybody's going to really give a shit. All right. Do you want to take the lead on this uh, tight end H-back group? I mean, I think we know who's the number one guy, but behind him, you know, we got a couple interesting guys too. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be... Dalton Keene, we got to see. The dude got absolutely jacked. We talked about that in, in you know... I, our strength and conditioning uh, team did a fabulous job with him, but it remains to see what he's going to do. I think he's an excellent player. French is extremely high on him. Uh, no doubt. I think he's going to be one of the starters um, when that, when they're, that position's on the field. Uh, Cunningham was interesting because what was it last year? He caught six, six passes. passes, four for a touchdown. To, yep, four TDs. Man, that's right off the top of my head. So, uh, so I I think that's another good position. He's kind of a taller guy that I don't think there's going to be a lot of production out of him again this year. So, I don't I don't know what to expect out of Keen. All I know is people are high on him. He's strong as a freaking ox. Uh, it seems and. I think he is exactly what we're looking for in that position. I just yeah, we got to see he's Fuente's prototypical H back, right? Yeah. Like that's that's the guy he wanted. Like he went out and he got him to play H back in his offense. Right, and it's going to be, but we I got to see it on the field. I mean, I think right. uh, all the measurables are there. You know, what you can tell from high school film is there, and then we'll we'll find out what what actually gets put on the field, but I think it's a perfect fit for what Fuente is trying to do. And it, it'll be nice to see if Cunningham can catch a few TD passes as well when he's in there this year. And another thing Keen has going for him is that he's got that dirty stash game going. Oh, it's a dis- <laughs> disgusting Did dirty stash. Did you see stash. that thing? Yeah. <laughs> he's got a caterpillar on his lip. Well, he's got, uh, the, f- he's, be he's got the full <laughs> long hair. Everything is just... but. Dude, oh, I'm, you put on, you I'm put on that, you put on that mu- muscle mass. You can do whatever you want. You know? <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, Cunningham will be in there on some goal line stuff. I, I, I mean, you can't catch 44 TD passes on six total receptions and not the next year also catch a TD, TD pass. He's going to be in there. And then the last guy I had at that position was Colt Pettit, the former lineman. He'll be more, I guess, would on big sets when we need an extra blocker yeah. uh, to – to bolster that right side of that line that we talked about, which actually could be really on like you know a right, if you play it the right way and like a jet sweep or something like that or something unique. That's that big body's important, so that actually right. works out pretty well. So we wouldn't be a a full Virginia Tech podcast if we didn't preview the special teams, right? Oh, I mean, this is Beamer Ball. I, I guess so. <laughs> I'll let you. I'll let you preview it. This I, is I feel Shabest good about ball. it. 
Strowman's probably going to return kicks and punts again. I don't have a lot on this. I, I, you know, like I, and then Devin Hunter might return some kicks. I think you'd probably agree with that. Uh, I don't know who else. Yeah, I think that's. And I then, think it's it. And then Joey Sly. Correct. And then Joey Sly. <laughs> Let me point out one stat for Joey. Uh, Nineteen of twenty inside the forty-yard line. That's pretty good. That is good. Um, virtually automatic inside forty yards. Outside of forty yards, one of seven. So. Joey's got to work on his plus 40 game. And then I think the Aussie will be our punter, Oscar Bradburn. Yeah. And then Shabest also said that they, I saw a little quote, they want to keep going with the, as much as they can. Because if you remember, it, it was actually kind of unique last year when we were talking about, oh, there's another touchback. Oh, there's another touch. Oh, he kicked another one, another one. Yeah. Uh, he came out and said that they do that on purpose. They want to not give people the ball and give them momentum and feel like that they get a chance. They're going to try and continue just going with touchbacks. Just going for go for when you're kicking off, go for the field goal. That's what the goal yeah. is now. So I, I actually like that. I mean, last thing you need is like when we go to the pit game and then what's his name? Quadri Henderson or something. Runs yep. one back, and you can change the whole momentum of the game. Even though it's six points, it feels like it's 40 points when something like that happens. There are a lot of good returners in the ACC. And if you can kick it out of the end zone, do it. Yep. Uh, that's it just It's just better that way. And we should give Joey Sly his due. I mean, I think this is his senior year. He attempted the fifth most kicks in the nation last year in terms of field goals. So he kicked a lot, and he made a lot. If he just if he can make those ones inside of forty five now this upcoming year and take it take it another five to six yards back, it would make a huge difference and he will be an asset for us. So we shouldn't we should give Joey Sly his just due and he I agree. he does a lot of good work off the field as well, raising money and that kind of thing for uh for various charities. Yeah. So what are you drinking over there, Pete? I'm having the Buffalo Bills Orange Blossom Cream Ale. The manliest beer I've ever had on the podcast. Or just the longest uh, named pod or beer on the podcast ever. <laughs> Buffalo Bills is the brewery and it's their orange blossom cream ale. And so as in a cream ale, not much carbonation to this one, uh, but it is very, very orangey. Uh, if you are a fruit loving beer type person, you'll get 5% alcohol and you'll get a hefty dose of like what I'd call cream sickle flavor. Uh, Buffalo Bills Orange Blossom Cream Ale. Your girlfriend will love it. <laughs> what a is that? Is that the tagline on the beer, or did you just make that up? No, that's that's my tagline. For oh, I like that. Uh, Aslan beer, uh, which I already hit on. This one is the Jorts, which I appreciate that mm. name. It's just short, simple, to the point, very expressive. Sean Glennon appreciates that name. Sean Glennon <laughs> loves that name. Uh, 8.5% IPA. This one's actually not a double, but it's also another New England. So don't know that I want to bore everybody with the flavor profile other than to say, hey, if you haven't had an Aslan beer and you're a big beer guy, uh, I do pickups there. They don't distribute. You can't get it unless you go do pickups somewhere or you're a beer trader. I don't do the whole beer trading thing because I would probably get shafted by people. Like I'll end up trading a really good beer for a really bad one. But if you're interested in Aslan beers and you're not anywhere from around here, I'm happy to uh, trade off and ship some to you. So um, that's that's the least I can bring to to some of our listeners. 
Well, that's a very kind offer, Robbie. All right, so last thing before we sign off, record prediction. We have done this, I don't know, a dozen Five times, times so far the, this season. The season ended last year. But we have to do it one last time. And you have stayed, I think, pretty steadfast at nine and three. Am I am I right on that? I haven't deviated and I'm pulling up the schedule again now so I can do on my final projection. But yeah, that's right. I've always been at nine and three. And I've consistently stayed at eight and four throughout the entire offseason. Right. So do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? Um, I mean, if you have yours ready to go, then why don't you go? I'm changing my prediction. I'm going to nine and three. And I'm going to just join the hype train, whether it be TKP or you or whoever else. I'm getting on board with the nine and three because I'm searching through these games. And yes, we could drop the Clemson game instead of winning it. Uh, I just, I'm starting to think we're going to win that game. We're going to lose the Miami game. We're going to lose the Georgia Tech game. And people will start to get really down in the dumps. And we might drop a someone one somewhere else. But I just can't see us being worse than 9-3. And, and that's that's me being a little bit of a tech homer, maybe a lot of bit of a tech homer. But it, it's it's hard to find four losses on here with when you look at how much the other ACC teams have lost. Yeah. Okay. Um, God, I'd love to do this after the West Virginia game. I'll probably be revising after the West Virginia game, but I'm going to take, um, I'm just going to rip through this and pull off this bandaid. I'm going to go W West Virginia, W Delaware, East Carolina, which I don't really like that game just cause it should be an absolute win this year. ODU, we talked about not liking that, but whatever. Clemson, I'm going to take the L. Uh, BC, the win. North Carolina, the win. Duke, um, such a good coach, which always frightens me, especially when you're that deep into the season. But I'm going to take the win. Uh, loss against Miami, and then win out. So I'm going. I'm upping mine to ten and two. Oh my god. <laughs> So we both went off a game. You got to be kidding me. I know. And mine's a stretch because that puts me at the highest. I usually don't do this. I usually play low and then hope. I mean, last year we both ended up hitting it. I think I started eight and four and then I upped it to nine and three after the first like game or two, seeing what Gerard Evans could do. And then we ended up at exactly what nine and three. Um, yeah. I so we, we both, both we hit it year. spot on last year. Um, the year before, for that, I can't remember what ended up happening, what our picks were versus actual, but I feel like we got it. I, I feel like we got it wrong. Picked six and six. <laughs> yeah, I think we, I think we got that one wrong. Um, but in this year of Fuente, granted, I, I will say that if it goes a different direction, other than ten and two, I think it, it would be like a really bad direction, like six and six type yeah. like thing. Yeah. So I don't think. I don't think there's much room for error here because it, it's really going to come down to does Josh Jackson actually have it or is he going to have it next year? And those are going to lead to two completely different seasons. I guess if I had to put percentages on it, I put it at like 40% 9-3, 40% 8-4, 
ten percent ten and two and ten percent seven and six. That that's yeah, that's, probably, that's probably where it'd be. And and I'm flipping a coin between the nine and three and the eight and four. And I didn't even say where my other loss would come. I don't know where it's gonna come. Uh-huh. I just have a good feeling about the West Virginia game and a good feeling about the Clemson game. We could lose the ODU game. I uh-huh. I I don't know where those three losses are coming, but they're coming. Yeah, I didn't finish That's my what, thought. My I think the only the only thing there's only three teams on here that we deserve to potentially lose to. That's West Virginia, Miami, and Clemson. Right. So you baseline off of that. Those are the only three that statistically roster or anything that we should like on the. They have a good kind of a good day. They beat us. Right. That's really how it should shake out. And then I add in, I throw into that fact because I don't want to just pick nine three because that's where you get to nine and three, right? There's three teams, right. so if you pull off one of those, then you're allowed to take a cupcake loss, right? That's how everybody gets to nine and three. But here's my thought process: that if we can pull off one of those wins, Fuente, I think this year has the fodder to go to the team, and I don't mean to call it fodder in a bad way to say. Look what happened against Georgia Tech last year. You weren't supposed to lose them. Look what happened against Syracuse. He could never do that before. I think he has um, a way to fire up people that are still on the team and be like, look at that egg you dropped last year up in the Carrier Dome. And I think that gives him a little bit of extra motivation to keep people serious to hopefully not drop that that BS game. I don't know. Yeah, there's going to be a BS game. There just is. Hopefully it's not two, like Georgia Tech and Syracuse. Hopefully it's just one. Yep. But we're hoping for big things, clearly. If if I'm moving my, my prediction up a game and Robbie's moving his prediction up a game, we're hoping for a big season in Blacksburg, and we're banking on the coaching and their expertise in picking a quarterback because a lot's riding on that. If you want to send us any emails – uh, it's too deep VT at gmail.com. We actually got a really good email from, uh, Peter Laclede, a guy, a guy in the U S army who sent us a couple different messages over the past couple months. And Peter, we appreciate your email very much and glad you're still listening, even though you've, you've been deployed and, uh, kind of all over the country. So just, uh, whatever we can do to keep bringing the hooky, uh, information to people out there uh we'll we'll keep doing it and if you want to hit us on twitter it's at 2dvt and uh make sure to subscribe on itunes find our website 2dvt.com every episode is there for you to stream and you can also look at all the beers we've had which is very many after our two full seasons of previewing games and seasons and spring games and everything else Until next time, when we do a brief preview of the West Virginia game, go Hokies.